the idea was to make as much noise as we could. We would show up, and it would just be shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder packed. Randy was better than ever, firing on all cylinders. It was just total chaos, and then it went away. But we got a hell of a story out of it. They go, Brian, you have to see this band called Quiet Riot. He's like nothing you've ever seen before. It was this huge sound, and the sound was coming straight from the guitar player. For me, it was all about Randy. You could just tell this guy was going to be a star. When Ozzy did call... That was the end of an era. He said, do you know who Ozzy Osbourne is? He said, I auditioned for him today. I said, you what? He said, all I did was plug in my guitar and all the... And Ozzy Osbourne said, you're the guy. And all of it was so much feeling. It was just amazing. And he goes, well, I'd have to leave Quiet Riot. He was scared to death of having to walk up to Kevin and say, I'm leaving the band. The dream was that they were going to make it together. I met Ozzy when I was 22. I've been with him since then. According to police, they didn't make it. You wake up and you're in the middle of a field and there's a house on fire and there's bits of aeroplane everywhere and people are running around screaming. It's horrendous. Randy Rhodes is the James Dean of hard rock and roll. It was just awful. We're all devastated. Randy Rhodes will never die in my heart. He's, he's there forever. He was a small guy with such an enormous talent. He might be up there jamming with Bonham and everyone else, you know. Everything that they were doing was bigger than life. It was amazing. Randy was mischievous. He was fun. That came through in his solo. The people loved him for that. He wanted to be the greatest guitar player in the world. He made his own style. Randy was the light, and everyone gravitated to the light. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. All right, Hollywood, it's time for another series episode, another Thanking the Greats episode. And for tonight's subject, we are doing none other than Randy Rhodes, the iconic guitar player himself. We've had so much going on this past year with Randy, with him going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, with this latest documentary being released. It's unfortunate that he didn't give us more catalog over the years. His flame was kind of short, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think when you know people are talking about, and you'll hear about it a little bit in the interview and in the documentary itself, it's like, why is it taking so long for a Randy Rose documentary to come out? Like, 
when you look at it total, the guy's on basically about eight albums and three of those albums are live albums. Like he just doesn't have enough stuff out there. And the entire time of his existence, which he is an iconic artist, don't get me wrong, was overshadowed by Eddie, Mm -hmm. right? And that's just how it is. And Van Halen got so big, so fast out of the gate. And it took them a while to get that record contract. But once they got it, they were flying Yeah, that you just kind of lose Randy in the mix. So when it comes down to it, the guy's iconic. But does anybody on the street really know who Randy Rhodes is? Not a casual fan. That's probably not going to come up. Yeah. Timing is everything. We've talked about this before, right? So you kind of alluded to it. Randy's flame is burning bright in the 81, 82 timeframe. Well, that's prime time for Edward Van Halen, right? I mean, 81, they're putting out fair warning. So, I mean, it's just everything is sort of happening for Van Halen at this time. And then on top of it, you got Eddie and it's sort of his and Dave's band in terms of Van Halen, whereas Randy Rhodes is kind of, he's a sideman, right? He's a henchman for Ozzy. People know Ozzy Osbourne in the name. They don't know Randy Rhodes. Uh, he's just the latest act slinger for Ozzy, right? Yeah, and it doesn't help that, you know, Quiet Riot couldn't get arrested, right? So it's just like, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, one of the things that I was going to, well, I'll ask you now. It doesn't come up quite in the documentary, but I just started thinking about it after I watched the documentary and I listened to the interview. Yeah. If Kevin Dubrow was the Van Halen lead singer, do they get signed? Because you can't say Randy's not every bit as good as Eddie is. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that definitely has a part in it, but I think it comes down to the music. I mean, and we'll get much more into this uh, in this episode, but for me personally, I just didn't think that Quiet Riot had the songs. Uh, and then that's that's just my opinion. But again, we'll talk about it. So in this episode, our intentions are, as part of the Thanking the Great series, to share some of our favorite moments of Randy Rhodes' music, as well as discuss his life and career a little bit. But the big portion of this episode will be this documentary that has just recently been released, uh, Randy Rhodes' Reflections of a Guitar Icon. And I did a short interview with the director of that documentary. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. If you guys haven't checked out that documentary, I would recommend you going out to Amazon or whatever streaming service you use, and you can rent the documentary pretty cheaply. And it's well worth it. I thought it was a well-done documentary, and there's just not a lot of stuff out there on Randy. Now, this documentary focuses mainly on the Quiet Riot years and the early career of Randy Rhodes, but there's a ton of unseen footage and some interview clips and things like that. It's really cool. It's the most stuff I've seen on Randy Rhodes in one place. But before we get into all of this Randy Rhodes stuff, you know we got to do this. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. So for tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight, we are sharing another one from our friends in Restrained. They've got a new record that they're working on that is about to come out. We played I Walk Alone 
back when we did the Def Leppard High and Dry episode. You can check that out when Tony was a guest on the podcast. And tonight I am sharing a song called Blink of an Eye. Check this one out, the latest from Restrained. Still 
Yeah, so for fans like me of the band, that's classic restrained. They're not really shying too far away from what they normally do, but what they normally do is great, and it's somewhat unique. You know, they got this kind of like Black Label Society type feel, but they're kind of putting 80s harmonies into it, which is somewhat unique. So I, I like the song. Yeah, I like the song too, and I would agree with you that it's a little bit of a throwback to some of the older restrained type material, whereas I Walk Alone to me had a little bit different feel. I actually like I Walk Alone a little bit better because that's more my bang zone of rock and roll. That's closer to like the docking feel for me. Blink of an Eye, I like a lot as well. You can't go wrong with it. It's good stuff by the band Restrained out of Sacramento. Check it out. It's R-E-S-T-R-A-Y-N-E-D if you look them up. And we'll put the links in the show notes as well, but check them out. All right, so on to tonight's episode and the discussion. So first up, I figured we'd go ahead and play this interview I did with Andre Rellis, who directed the Randy Rhodes documentary, Reflections of a Guitar Icon. They got Tracy Guns to narrate the documentary. I think the documentary is really well done. There's a lot of unseen footage that I've never personally seen. Tons of photos. They got interviews with a lot of people that were around at the time. And like I said before, this documentary primarily focuses on the early years when Randy Rhodes was a founding member of Quiet Riot. So that's pretty much everything rolled up in a nutshell. Did I leave anything out? No, let's play it and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about it. All right. Check out this interview with Andre Rellis. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. Welcome to the Growing Up Rock podcast. We got a little bit of a different one for you today. We're inviting the director and executive producer of Randy Rhodes, A Reflection of a Guitar Icon documentary, Andre Rellis. Andre, how are you? Nice to meet you. I'm good. Doing just fine. So as I was saying a little bit earlier, I went through this documentary twice and I found it really interesting because there are absolute loads of unseen footage and pictures and interview bits and pieces and things like that. It is probably the most large amount of stuff I've seen on Randy Rhodes in one place since I've been a fan, which is quite some time. Well, I appreciate that. How did you come about putting this documentary together? Like why this documentary and why now? Well, I think uh, how it started was I knew Ron Sobel who had put together a documentary about Randy Rhodes, but it was more about just the, you know, the quiet riot years and, He'd put this thing together in 2012. It never got a real release other than DVD. And he came to me and he was, you know, a bit upset with the fact that he never got it released. And he knew that I have a music division. My background is I produce films, but I also am a music buff and was a musician before I got into the film business and was always uh, an admirer of Randy Rhodes. And when he came to me with the idea of utilizing some of the footage from that documentary, and then I realized that it was, you know, an anniversary of his, you know, passing 40th anniversary 
was coming up, I decided to commit myself to it. Yeah, and it ended up being really sort of perfect timing with his induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this past year. Why do you think that it's taken this long to get anything out on Randy? Because it's not like people are just hearing about him now. This has been an ongoing thing for many years. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that really interested me to the project and being involved and trying to get the story out was that exact reason. I mean, there's been there's nothing else out there, really, uh, other than Ron's doc that covers Randy Rhodes. And I've always felt like that's part of why I felt so dedicated to the project, because he's kind of an enigma. Like even in my when I was in a band and thinking of Randy Rhodes, he was like such an interesting character, but there was not a lot of information about him. He was very mysterious. Mm -hmm. I always thought of Randy Rhodes as like this. uh this upper echelon enigma of a amazing guitarist, but not a lot of information. And I wanted to get it out there. I, I felt like uh, the fans were due something really, you know, dedicating a, a documentary to his life. So that's part of the reason why I really gravitated towards it. Now, as you said, you spent your later teens and some of your early twenties in bands in California. Now I understand it was a punk band, but this came much later, like way after Quiet Riot and the Sunset Strip and all that stuff, timing-wise, right? Yeah, but my band, when I say punk, it was a there was a band called RKL, which I grew up listening to in my hometown, Santa Barbara, Rich Kids on LSD. And they had a mix of like punk rock and metal, a lot of guitar. So my guitarist was a real metal guitarist. So we always had some of a metal, it was kind of a metal punk sound to us. And so we were always inspired by the early ozzy albums blizzard of oz and even well not so much quiet riot because the quiet riot albums that people think about are in the latter years in the 80s and frankly i one of the things that i that just organically happened through the process of making this documentary was being able to showcase the early quiet riot albums and have that music in our documentary and frankly i believe that those earlier quiet riot albums with randy were the better albums yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because that is one of the things that I took away from the documentary It very much. I mean, it could have gone either way, focusing on Quiet Riot, the early years, or Randy Rhodes. It kind of goes hand in hand, but it very much focuses on Quiet Riot's early years. And literally, this band couldn't get arrested in their early years. They had all this fan base, but they just could not get a record label interested in them and there's one part in the documentary which kind of made me laugh because it's rudy sarzo talking about one of the things that interested him about joining quiet riot is that they were an original band and they didn't really do cover tunes and as we all know their success is pretty much based on two cover songs right that's so true that is a trip and that is another piece of the documentary that i thought the story of such a talent like randy rhodes being in this band and they couldn't get signed they did everything and, and we really you know profile how much time they spent trying to get a record deal how they actually took to the streets and had their fan base go to all the different record companies and pick them to sign them and i felt like that was so interesting and it just tells a lot of musicians including myself i was in a band for 10 years not making a lot of money how hard it is to get that record deal. And you, even with a talent like Randy Rhodes. So that's an interesting part of history. 
Yeah, it really is. I think it still comes down to a little bit of luck and who you know, right? The right place at the right time. Yeah. I'm sure history is littered with bands and musicians that are, you know, fantastic, beyond fantastic. And uh, we never know because they don't ever make it out of the backyard. I mean, how weird is it that those early Quiet Riot albums, the 77 and 78 Quiet Riot 1 and 2, never got a release in the States? Right. It's a trip, man. But I, I, I did love being able to utilize that music. And one of the things that I wanted so much, and I worked very hard on through the sound, um, there's so much different elements that go into making a documentary. But one of them is mixing the sound and making sure I wanted the music to pop so that when you're listening and watching the documentary, you can actually like rock out to the, that music. Yeah, because in a lot of uh, ways, you're working with uh demos and third generation tapes because it's not all i mean it's not quiet riot mental health uh on cd you know what i mean absolutely so what hurdles did you need to overcome to get this doc made in terms of like getting the rights to the music etc that type stuff well i frankly i mean i wanted to spend more time on the aussie years but i just could not get cooperation on that there was a lot of forces behind trying to get me to stop doing it and to quit and to give up on it and the more i learned about other documentaries that had tried to release or complete they were squashed so uh you asked me or you brought up the fact like yeah there's not anything else out there there's a reason why there's parties out there that are uh, keeping that story from being told and so yeah it was hard at times because I didn't have cooperation from too many folks. And the definition of forces is Sharon Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> so there's lots of, you got a cast together of, you know, some of the old guard from the Sunset Strip, some of the folks that were originally in Quiet Riot, etc. And there's tons of great stories being told throughout this documentary, which I think is is fantastic because it it is a documentary, but it also sort of puts together a story. Were there any great stories that didn't make the final cut by anybody, told by anybody that you can recall? Yeah, I mean, there's as far as one thing that we didn't really get into was the horrible day that Randy Rhodes passed mm -hmm. and died in that plane crash. And there's a lot of controversy around it, and uh, some people would tell you that it was there was more to that story. Uh, there was some stuff between Sharon and Randy that I didn't get into, and certain things that, look, at the end of the day, it's not just because I didn't want to get into it. It's also because it didn't fit into the story. Uh, you know, this what I was trying to explain to the parties that were trying to prevent me from doing this was that this is going to be a real tribute to uh, this amazing guitarist that not only was, I mean, when you listen to those early quiet riot albums, you realize what an impact that band had on the sound, what came out of the early eighties to the mid eighties to the late eighties, the metal sound, they were such a big piece of that, of birthing that. And then further to that, like his influence on launching Ozzy's career is amazing. I mean, it, Without him being there, I don't know if that would have turned out the same. I'm pretty much feeling it wouldn't have. Yeah, that's a great point for sure. And the documentary very much comes off as that, more so as a, a tribute, but an untold story. And 
I mean, you don't really spend a ton of time because most of us know the overview of what happened in terms of the plane crash and his death. There's a really good story. I mean, Rudy Sarzo goes into pretty good detail in his book about that particular day. Some other things have surfaced since then in terms of like that I didn't ever know, uh, which is like, you know, the pilot was doing coke and the pilot had crashed before, like at another point in time, he had crashed a plane once before. So there, there's a lot of stuff and, and uh, you know, it's just unfortunate. I think, it, I think it's just unfortunate, bad choices and an unfortunate situation. Yeah, it was a really bad situation. And some would tell you that uh, one of the parties that was in the bus was uh, his wife or his ex-wife at the time, or they were going to go through this divorce and that he was trying to get revenge on her. I don't know. It's speculative. So I didn't really want to go into that too much. Yeah, that's probably a a wise choice. (laughs) Uh, Had Randy lived, what do you think he would be doing now? Because we've speculated before on this podcast. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I believe he would have become, in my opinion, I think he would have become a solo artist at some point. It would have been like a Randy Rose, like Satriani type of thing. I think that could have occurred. It's funny because Tracy, Tracy Guns, who's a narrator and amazing partner on this documentary, he's got a different opinion. He feels like he would have gone into more of a softer rock, more prog rock type of direction. So me personally, I just think he would have done a lot of solos. But I mean, not just this, it, whatever he would have done would have been groundbreaking. And uh, even his solo stuff, I think he would have been more of a solo artist. Yeah, I think uh, like a lot of artists today, he would have been somewhat of a higher gun, meaning that he could basically do classical albums and then go out and do an Ozzy tour or, you know, another band project. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they would have tried to put bands around him. Uh, much like a John Sykes or something like that. Or, you know, we had Zach Weil on the uh, podcast a while back, and I essentially asked him the same question. And his response was, yeah, you know, he'd still be playing today, no doubt about it. Oh, yeah, he'd be playing. One thing that I didn't mention, too, is you would ask me like some stories or what we didn't cover. From what I learned, there was a lot of tension between Randy Rhodes and Ozzy uh, towards the around the time in which he passed. And I learned that it, it appeared he was going to leave. Mm-hmm. He was apparently very bitter about having to do Sabbath songs. Mm-hmm. He, he had to do some Sabbath, uh, you know, cover recordings and he wasn't a fan of Sabbath. And uh, there was some other things out there too, but I, I think that he would have parted ways relatively soon uh, after that second album. Yeah, I have to agree with you because uh, I think uh, Rudy covered that a little bit in his book that they had planned on doing that Speak of the Devil record where they're recording all the old Sabbath tunes. And Randy really was not into that at all. So I I agree with you. You mentioned Tracy Guns. How did the two of you come together? Well, you know, originally I I wasn't even going to have a narrator. Um, You know, you go through when you're making a documentary, you go through cycles. It's like, it takes on a life of its own. And as we start to get further and deeper into the edit, I came to the conclusion, we really do need a narrator. And if anybody's going to narrate, it's got to be Tracy because he, he's a huge fan of Randy. Right. I mean, even today he, he talks about how he, he makes decisions in life based upon what he thinks Randy would do. 
And through the process of looking at older footage of some of the um, tribute concerts that took place uh, over the years for, you know, tribute Randy Rhodes concert, Tracy was always a part of it. And what an enigma he is himself. So he's the perfect spokesman. So I, we reached out to his people and he wanted to be involved in this. And it was the best move because he's a great guy. Yeah, he does a really good job in this documentary. Uh, I found it interesting you covering the, we'll call it a little bit of a competition, but I had heard about it in the past between Randy Rhodes and Ed Van Halen. I think a third person that was in the mix, which isn't talked about that much is, and I know he was on the scene at the time, was George Lynch was on the set set strip a lot of the same time. I I had heard stories about him trying to find out what Eddie was doing, and Eddie would always turn his back to George and uh, not show George's tricks. So I, I found that whole dynamic in the documentary very interesting when you covered it. Yeah, I think uh, that was definitely... I mean, Eddie Van Halen was a very different type of person, I think, than Randy, whereas Randy was more of a teacher. That's another thing that I wanted to really get out to the people. I didn't know that Randy grew up in a house. He grew up in a, a school, a music school. His mom was a teacher and he was so trained, but he was also organically a teacher. So when he played, he'd show you he was so open with his playing where I, I think Eddie was more of a competitor, like he thought of him as a threat. That's my opinion. There was some people that didn't really want us to cover that, but I felt like it's a, it needed to get covered. Yeah, I thought it added a, a different layer to the documentary and interesting. It's not like you spent a half hour on it. I mean, it, it was a, a mention and uh, one that, you know, if you if you were there on the Sunset Strip at that time, there was a lot of competitiveness between all the bands and a lot of amazing players came out of that time period from the Sunset Strip and Randy and, and Eddie are just two of them. And like I said, George Lynch was on the, the scene at the very same time. So I thought it was uh, extremely interesting for you to cover. I also think it's interesting how, you know, you had this, he was, he was pretty successful at playing guitar and he's in a very known band, but simultaneously he's still teaching. And there was, you know, I covered the whole part about these, these students coming in wanting to play Van Halen songs. And he, I think he was definitely in the power to say, no, I'm not doing that, but he did it. And he, I think he was a very giving individual who had a good heart. I would agree based on all the information that's come out about him from various parties. I mean, that seems like the general consensus is that he was that, but he also had a competitive edge there as well. When you spoke with his guitar tech about the, the pictures taped to his wah pedal of Eddie and, and things like yeah. that. So, but great documentary, amazing footage, amazingly put together with a nice story. Uh, job well done, Andre. Uh, really appreciate this from a fan standpoint of getting something like this out there. I really appreciate that. I, I mean, I got to tell you, like uh, hearing this from somebody like yourself who's been a fan for so many years and being able to have something that can leave out there that people can see uh, and, and, and enjoy about Randy Rhodes is, is really humble, humbling. Thank you very much. You got it. And let me ask you this, because I know you're getting ready to, or already in the process of working on a Lemmy documentary, right? No, actually there's a Lemmy documentary that I um, was involved with. I distributed, I got them all the deals early. It was 2010, a fantastic Lemmy documentary. 
And the parties that I did that documentary with have a biopic, fantastic script. And we're actually trying to get the biopic made where we're casting uh, who's going to play Lemmy. Awesome. It's taken a while, but we'll get there. Uh, the Lemmy documentary that you're referring to, is that the one that's just called Lemmy? Yes, that's okay. it. Yeah, I saw that one. That's That was like on HBO or something, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it was on VH1 as well. And one of the directors is uh, behind the script and uh, is working with the Lemmy uh, estate and worked very hard on a fantastic script. This script is something else. And I, it's not easy to get these projects together, but in due time, we'll, we'll have it out. Yeah, I think uh, it's Lemmy's son that owns the estate now, right? Well, I'm dealing with his management more or less. Okay. So they're very involved in the day to day. So I'm not dealing directly with the son, but I don't know if the son, how involved he is on a day to day basis with that. Well, I can only imagine that would make a terrific biopic. <laughs> There's got to be some good stories. The cool thing about it is it's not just about Lemmy, it's like the birth of metal through the Motorhead Lemmy story. Uh, so you're, yes, it's about Lemmy and his journey and, and Motorhead, but then it organically is also about the birth of metal. Great. And it's pretty awesome. Awesome. So now for people that want to go out and check out this Randy Rhodes reflection of a guitar icon, what's the best way for them to do that? I mean, you can get it on all the, the digital platforms, uh, everywhere where you rent movies or stream. I mean, it's not on Netflix, so. Uh, it's not on SVOD platform. You you have to rent it through Amazon, Vudu, uh, DirecTV. Uh, it should be pretty much everywhere, uh, but it is coming out on DVD in October. It's going to be a deluxe Blu-ray, and I'm excited about that. Will that have extra footage on it? You know, it's funny you say that. I have a conference call early next week to discuss all of that. Yeah. So it's in the works. Awesome. So we'll put the links in the show notes where folks can check this out. But like he said, it's pretty much everywhere. Go to Amazon, just type in Randy Rhodes documentary. And I'm pretty sure Randy Rhodes reflections of a guitar icon will pop up. It's well worth the rent. It's uh, it's very entertaining. Tons and tons of unseen footage and uh, interview clips and uh, it's just got all kinds of great old Quiet Riot music in it as well. So, Andre, I appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I really uh, I thank you for your positive feedback. Hey, thanks for getting this thing made, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook. At Growing Up Rock. So like you mentioned, right, 56 minutes of this documentary when you watch it is about Quiet Riot. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about it at the beginning. There's crosstown rivalry they got with Van Halen. In the documentary, there's even a place where <laughs> Eddie says, Randy isn't doing anything I haven't already done. Kind of an asshole move, mm -hmm. right? Did you know Randy Rhodes? Yeah. What'd you think of that kid? Well... He was one guitarist who was honest anyway, because I read some interviews that he did, and he said that everything he did, he learned from me. Uh-huh. You know? He was good. He, he was the first cat to come along uh, after you and sort of inspire the... Yeah. The sort of worshiping guys uh, out there. Oh, sure. But I don't really think he, he did anything that I haven't done. What do you think? He's a little different, but I, I hear a lot of you and him. The first time I ever heard him, I thought it was the guy copying you. 
in the doc, you see Randy playing running with the devil, which is so cool. Like, uh, and he was playing on fire. Mm -hmm. And there's a story about that he had people that he was teaching that wanted to learn Van Halen songs. So he would teach them Van Halen songs. The guy just seems like the nicest guy on the planet. Now, that being said, when you watch this doc, dude, going out with your singer's ex-girlfriend, that is a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> that is a disaster waiting to happen. Dubrow and DLR, there's not even a competition there. That's why I'm saying if Dubrow was the lead singer of Van Halen, then he would have been writing the lyrics. That band does not do as well as it did. That's all. That's a Roth Van Halen connection. And we don't know very many musicians in rock that solo did it on their own and became big. They had to have the vocalist along with them to help them kind of carry the message that they're trying to send to everybody. Momstein's tried to do it without a bunch of people, and he's, ne- he's never going to be, he's never as big as Van Halen, right? You got to have the two headed monster, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you look at back in history at a lot of the great bands and there's always the lead singer, guitar player, you know, whether it's Jagger and Richards or Perry and Tyler, Page and Plant. It's always that two-headed monster that we talked about. For me, the Quiet Riot music in the early days just never really stood up to me. It was poppy. It was power pop, but it wasn't. If you're going to have power pop to me, it needs to be hooky and full of great melodies. And I just didn't see any of that or hear any of that rather. And the other thing that people don't really talk about and watching this documentary kind of brought it back into play, but You know, when Quiet Riot first hit it, Kevin DeBrow had a big mouth, meaning that he pissed a lot of people off in a lot of the interviews that he gave. He threw fire on a lot of other bands. He threw a lot of other bands under the bus and stuff like that. And so he didn't make any friends back then. And that was a problem. Dave was just crazy, but he didn't necessarily throw other bands out of the, uh, you know, under a bus. He didn't really belittle other bands. He was just a nutbag, basically. (laughs) But that's two of the things that I kind of noticed along the way that I wanted to bring up. You know, it sounds like Andre did this documentary for all the right reasons. I briefly mentioned in there that the roadblock was Sharon Osbourne. But honestly, I don't think the roadblock is just Sharon Osbourne. I think the roadblock is also the Rhodes family. I think that uh, Kelly Rhodes and his sister, who I can't remember her name right now, but I think that they're just, they're very protective of the brother's legacy, which I can understand. But make no mistake about it, I also think that all the roads lead back to money in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I kind of like that the documentary didn't spend a lot of time on his childhood because, you know, it's a nicety. But come on, do we really care? Like, do we care what he was eating when he was seven years old? Like, nobody (laughs) cares about that, right? It didn't spend a lot of time on how he died. And do we really need that anyway, right? Like, we want to celebrate who the guy was Mm -hmm. and- Spending 22 minutes on how the guy died is not going to get you there. But what I think what's happening with Sharon being in the way, which I believe Sharon's also in the way, I think Sharon has ideas of documentaries when Ozzy is no longer around. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be some major motion picture type documentaries possibly or movies 
that she's looking at 50, 60, $100 million, mm-hmm. not this piddly shit, a documentary that's going to get released and sell X amount of copies. Yeah. So she doesn't want the full story out there without her being able to parlay it for a hundred million bucks. Now, that probably is not going to happen until Ozzy possibly passes away. I guess you could do it when he was alive if he's retired, but he's retired twice and came back. So I don't even know if that means anything. <laughs> but I, I got a feeling Sharon is smart enough to figure out there is one last cash. And that last cash could equal all of the other caches put together in one fell swoop if you put clamps on the story and you release it when you're ready. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with that. I mean, you know. Who knows what we're not seeing? Who knows how much footage is out there? I have to believe that the Aussie camp has a bunch of footage that they've not released, you know, of their private vault, right? And we can hope for that. In the meantime, I thought that this was perfect timing in terms of Randy Rhodes being inducted into the Hall of Fame and and things like that. And I think that there's room for all of this stuff, to be honest. So, There's definitely a hunger out there amongst the fans. Now, one cool thing, uh, regardless of whether it was because he didn't have the rights to a whole lot of stuff or he was being roadblocked or whatever, in my opinion, him telling this Quiet Riot early years story was ideal because you're probably not going to get something like this out there with another documentary. So him focusing in on that, I thought was really cool and gave you insight into those early years uh, and the sunset strip as well. You know? Yeah. I think that was the way to go because you're right. Sharon has no reason to tell that story. That story is going to start the day Ozzy heard him noodling. That's the day that's going to start. Right. And so this story now, there is another Quiet Riot documentary out there, but they don't spend a lot of time on the early, early years. They spend most of their time trying to figure out how to survive with Dubrow and talk a little bit about that big album in 83. But I'm with you. Like Quiet Riot in its totality, it is a melodies issue. The songs don't stand up. And you can't tell me that they went number one in 83 because they didn't have Randy. Like, they didn't get better without Randy. Come on, dude. The songs got better, and it wasn't even their songs that sent them over the top. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's somebody getting into DeBro's head saying, can you go do this this way so you can land on the radio and we can have a number one record, please? Please? Can you please do that? Yeah. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Cavazzo and those guys, but come on. They didn't get better without Randy. Yeah, that's agreed. And, you know, for all the being one of the amazing bands on the sunset strip and packing out the clubs and all this stuff. I think that was probably uh, solely because of Randy, because I saw them without Randy, obviously, and they were very myth to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that was, and that was on the heels of a successful record. Yeah. And I think this is where, you know, Medicaid, never going to say it out loud. because He's not going to name names, but, these are the kind of bands that Dave's talking about when people talk to him about his career going, hey, why and he didn't super make it? Are you okay with that? And he'll mention something like, well, I don't want to be one of those bands that had like this big album and then you never heard from them again, right? right? I didn't want those guys. I'd rather have the thousands of fans that I have that are absolutely loyal to me at all times. And I got that way with the music I wrote versus having to do something I didn't want to do. And he's absolutely right. 
Yeah. I mean, we've said it a thousand times. Quiet Riot's career is built on two cover tunes and nothing else. Okay. People can go, well, I really like uh, Mental Health, the song, Bang Your Head. Okay, great. But if you don't get Come On, Feel the Noise, 90% of the people never hear uh, Bang Your Head. You know what I'm saying? So they owe everything that they had to the band Slade, the music that is not Slade. And I don't really care that much for those covers personally, but the music that is all Quiet Riot is hit or miss for me and meh at best. And that's, of course, that's just my opinion, but I've stood uh, my ground with that throughout the history of this podcast. Yeah, there's some of those songs I like. Like, I like Bang Your Head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the Slick Black Cadillac that was on the Quiet Riot record. I love The Wild and the Young, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, but there's more miss than hit, that's for sure. Correct. Same exact boat for me as well. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the life and times of Randy Rhodes. So, born Randall William Rhodes, born December 6th, 1956 in Santa Monica, California. He's a California boy straight through and through. Died March 19th of 1982. We recently did an episode on When Rock Ruled the Charts, where we explored that particular date and looked at the music charts during that date. He was 25 years old when he passed away, died in Leesburg, Florida. We know he was killed in a plane crash, but his years of active So he was active from 1972 to 1982, 10 short years. And the majority of that time was spent with a fledgling band on the Sunset Strip called Quiet Riot trying to make it. They never got a record contract unless you want to count that record contract in Japan for that first Quiet Riot record. And, you know, he never saw the success of the band, right? He never saw the success that Quiet Riot would go on to have uh, with Pasha Records. Uh, He gets the job with Ozzy Osbourne, gets the record contract, puts out those first two Ozzy records, and the rest is history, right? Yeah, and think about that, too. If those first two records aren't with Ozzy, but with, what's the dumbass from Rainbow? The guy, Graham Bonnet. Yeah. If those two albums are with Graham Bonnet, you don't even know who Randy Rhodes is. Most likely, no. Yeah. I mean, Randy Rhodes, if he lived long enough, he he might be the uh, guitar player in Alcatraz, right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) So you never know. And I think that his contributions to Ozzy and Ozzy's career, you know, maybe without Randy Rhodes, Ozzy would have never made it as a solo artist maybe he just uh you know dies an old drunken drug addict in a hollywood california hotel room because he can never get a solo career off the ground after he leaves black sabbath who knows yeah no, you know for all the things that people say about ozzy i'm one of those guys you know ozzy's been a mess a lot of his life but man he overcame randy's death and man that must have been tough right you pick up the pieces from black sabbath you get going. You find this little unicorn, right? Nobody has this guy. And you release two albums that totally make you feel amazing. And then that guy dies. Mm-hmm. And he's somehow recovered from that. You got to give it to Ozzy, right? Whether that's Sharon, whether that's somebody else in Ozzy's life, who knows whose it is. But that couldn't have been easy for whoever was helping Ozzy out of it because I'm sure he was trying to figure out a way to end it, basically. And somebody's kind of helping him through, get through all that, which, hey, he came out the other end. 
Yeah, for sure. Especially somebody that's already akin to addictions and things like that before Randy even enters the picture. And then if everything is true about the relationship that Randy and Ozzy had, then that would have been, you know, that would have been devastating to anyone, you know. So it's definitely something to think about. And, you know, there's been tons of discussion that go on and say, uh, well, you know, we talked about a little bit in the interview, which is what is what would Randy be doing today? Uh, and there's a lot of people that say, well, Randy probably would have left Ozzy pretty soon after that second album because he really didn't want to do that Speak of the Devil record. Uh, he didn't want to keep doing the old Black Sabbath stuff. He wasn't a Black Sabbath fan. So it would have been interesting to see. But at any rate, we have two albums, two studio albums worth of great stuff from Ozzy and Randy together. And I thought it would be fun to maybe approach this with our five songs. I would call them five Randy Rhodes moments because these aren't necessarily my favorite Ozzy Randy songs, but more or less, these are songs that I think as a guitar icon, you have to listen to these songs and appreciate the genius that is Randy Rhodes within these songs. Yeah. So you start and then I'll tell you how I approach mine when I started. All right. So if somebody was to come to me and say, hey, I heard about this guitar player, Randy Rhodes, who played with Ozzy on his first two solo records. Pick me out five songs that you think I should listen to. I would pick these five songs. And the first one I would suggest to them is just it's a compilation of a lot of different moods and segments within a song that I think is absolutely incredible from a guitar player standpoint and point of view. And that is the song off the Blizzard of Oz record called Revelation Mother Earth. This thing goes through so many highs and lows and the guitar solo is absolutely crazy good. So I would suggest that song to the listener first and foremost. In terms of a song that I think is more 
fitting of description of Ozzy and Randy overall as a whole, I would say Flying High Again. This is one of the songs that first got me into Ozzy because I absolutely love the groove and the guitar solo is off the hook. So that one's off Diary of a Madman. Those are two songs that I would suggest to uh, somebody that came to me seeking out Randy Rhodes material. Yeah, out of those two, I like Flying High Again better. Revelation Mother Earth just gets too long in the tube for me. Like, yeah, there's parts of that's Randy's doing that's amazing, but it's like it's too late in the song, and I lose interest before it even gets there, right? So that's that's just me personally. Fair. It's definitely an epic song that goes through a lot of peaks and values. Yeah. So my kind of uh, self-imposed rules, my thought process on these five Randy moments I wanted to pick several different options because here was my problem. 
if I didn't impose any rules on myself. My five would have been Crazy Train, I Don't Know, Mr. Crowley Over the Mountain, Flying High Again. That would have been my five. Everybody knows those five songs if they're an Ozzy fan, mm-hmm. and it would have been easy. So instead, I go, okay, no Crazy Train. I ain't picking that. Yeah. And I can only pick one between I Don't Know, Mr. Crowley Over the Mountain, and Flying High Again. So it forced me to some other places for the other three or the other uh, other four. Yeah. Now, as we kind of talked about before, there's really only eight albums to go to. So you got the two Ozzy records. You've got three Ozzy live records. So there was a Mr. Crowley live EP released in 80. There was a tribute record released in 87, which was a starting point for a lot of us with Randy, if you're younger. And Ozzy live in 2011 that had some Randy stuff on it. And then there's the two Quiet Riot records that came out in 77 and 78. And then there's the Randy Rhodes years. It's a compilation record that came out in 93 that had songs from Quiet Riot 1 and 2. And then it also had songs that were never released. Those are really the only eight places you can go to to get any Randy Rhodes released material. So when I did all that, the first one I came up with was a song called Demolition Derby. And it's off the first Quiet Riot record. It's written by Debro and Rhodes. And let's be honest, those first two Quiet Riot records, we've talked about it. They're a tough listen. The first two Y&T albums are a tough listen. The first two Scorpions albums are a tough listen. The first two Priest albums are unlistenable. Like, there's a lot of bands that go down that road, right? But these first two Quiet Riot albums, man, they are a really tough listen. I will tell you, Demolition Derby, the song is not that great. The chorus is absolutely brutal. The sounds are all demo-ish. The riff is pretty simple. The reason I picked the song is about 90 seconds in. And you got to remember, it's 1977. Randy's 20 years old. And for about 30 seconds, you get this hint of how great Randy's going to become in 1977. And that 30 seconds is enough to realize, oh my God, there's something there. But yes, Dubrow actually says the words topsy-turvy in the fucking course. The song is brutal. Okay? Just, Just saying it. But, you know... The whole point is, like, when can you kind of see that Randy is somebody? And in that song, there's about 30 seconds during the solo where you can see it. You can hear it.
My next pick is a song called S.A.T.O. from Diary of a Madman, released in 81, written by all the Aussie guys, supposedly, depending on who you believe. First of all, do you know what S.A.T.O. stands for? Any ideas? I think I used to, but I don't now. So according to Sharon, S.A.T.O., and you got to remember this got released in 81, so Sharon and Ozzy didn't marry till 82, and Ozzy was married while this song was released. So he got divorced and then married Sharon. So S-A-T-O stands for Sharon Arden, which is Sharon's maiden name, and then Thelma Osborne, which was the woman he was married to. (laughs) So my guess is this Thelma Osborne putting her in a title in 81 is probably some sort of an apology that Ozzy's making for fucking something up because I can only imagine being married to that guy how many times he had to apologize in his life. (laughs) Anyway, if you've ever heard this SATO song, one of the reasons I picked it is the song is very crazy train at times, right? It's got that feel. The riff is great. The crunchy tone is awesome. But that transition to the guitar solo has a crazy train feel. And the guitar solo absolutely blisters in this song, right? So it's not my favorite Ozzy song by any means, but uh, the guitar solo is undeniable.
have you listened to these two songs? And if you've ever listened to Demolition Derby, I'm sorry. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have listened to Demolition Derby. So when you explain why it's on your list, I appreciate that aspect of it. Like you're you're 100 right, and I love that you put that early glimpse of Randy in your list. Other than that, that song is brutal, and <laughs> it's like it's like a lot of the Quiet Riot stuff. Like I listen to that stuff, and I'm like, okay. To me, it's no. I'm not going. Why didn't this band? Why didn't this band get signed quicker? Why wasn't this band huge? No guesswork for me. The song is uh, Demolition Derby. That's why. <laughs> so, so, and a host of other songs. But anyway, SATO almost made my list. And no, I, that's not what I thought the title was at all. Uh, so, whatever I remember it being, it wasn't that. So, if that was what the initials are, then okay. But anyway, I love this song. I like SATO a lot off that Diary of Madman record. So it's a killer guitar solo. It's a moody song. I dig it quite a bit. That's a good start to your list for sure. What's interesting is for the listeners, we didn't actually share, share each other's list until like two minutes before we started recording and all 10 songs are different. Yeah, because for the most part, we kind of figured since the catalog was so small, we were going to pretty much know what the songs were. But he's right. It is a surprise that none of us uh, had the same songs for sure. So on to my three and two, the song that I'm going to share with you now is the first time that anybody had ever heard Randy Rhodes on album with Ozzy Osbourne, and that is the song kicking off the Blizzard of Oz record, I Don't Know. I think all the little guitar fills, the guitar solos, the breakdown in the middle of the song, it's just a classic Ozzy song. And people, you know, for whatever reason, it seems like I Don't Know doesn't get discussed that much probably because people go straight to crazy train and i took the same approach uh sunny did with crazy train i just kind of took that out of the mix completely because anybody that wants to know who randy rhodes or ozzy is they're going to go straight to crazy train that song has become something otherworldly at this point it, it's just an iconic song that's risen to ranks way above any of the other material but i don't know is for me a classic randy riff and the guitar fills are just killer the solo is killer i love that song so much
My next song comes off that very same album, and it was a toss-up between Suicide Solution and Mr. Crowley. But at the end, the guitar solo and Mr. Crowley, I just can't deny. So that was my number two uh, song. So those are my three and two. I don't know off of Blizzard of Oz and Mr. Crowley off of Blizzard of Oz. Mr. Crowley. Yeah, I would say out of those two, I don't know is my favorite, but I love both those songs. And Crowley is one of his best guitar solos. There's no doubt. All right. So my next two 
The next one I'm going to talk about is a song called Picking Up the Pieces. It's from Quiet Riot, and it's on that 93 album called The Randy Rhodes Years, and it's written by DeBrone Rhodes. And one of the things that comes up in the documentary is that now, technically, the documentary doesn't say this. This is me. I think Randy knew that Kevin Dubro didn't have it. What is said in the documentary is that Dubro and Rhodes didn't see eye to eye in what they wanted to write. I think Randy was kind of being stifled a little bit, and Kevin was kind of taking the helm maybe. So this song, Picking Up the Pieces, it was unreleased. And for the late 70s, I'm not exactly sure why, because I would say this song is better than everything else on the first two albums. Hell, you could have heard this song on the radio, especially in the late 70s, early 80s. So it just shows to me that Randy did have a sense of melody, but maybe Dubrow didn't share the same thoughts. Maybe he was just in the way. And this song's got a simple riff. The solo absolutely fits. It's got nothing to do with Randy showing off. Hell, you know what? You could sell this song to Van Hagar and Sammy would have killed this song.
Did you get a chance to listen to Picking Up the Pieces? It's amazing to me. I did listen to it briefly. I agree. I mean, it's it's definitely better than a lot of the Quiet Riot stuff. I don't know if Randy was too nice of a guy where he didn't want to just tell Debro, yeah, you know, you're you're just not you don't got what it takes because obviously when it came time to tell him he was gone, he did that. He also had no trouble getting rid of his best friend bass player at one point in time. So, you know, I, Randy wasn't so nice he couldn't make the moves. Yeah, just, you know, you, you get with that when you're a writing partner, right? Some things you just lose on, whatever. Yeah. My next pick, Over the Mountain. So, l- like I said, I wanted to pick one between I Don't Know Mr. Crowley, Over the Mountain, and Flying High Again, and out of those four, Over the Mountain is my favorite. Diary of a Madman, 81, written by whoever you believe is written by, I guess. Just simply one of the greatest riffs, riffs ever. So simple, but just so great. And Randy's guitar accents are absolutely perfect and totally make the song. Now, Kerslake's going off too on the drums, but there's this slight change in the riff, second half of the second verse, about 85 seconds in. You barely notice it, but it's absolutely perfect. And anyone who likes distorted guitar, if you don't listen to the 51 seconds between like the 215 stamp to 306, which is his guitar solo, you are absolutely missing out. Over the Mountain is probably one of my favorite Randy Rhodes type songs.
that's a way to kick off that second record and just punch you right in the face, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it is. That song's always been one of my favorites as well. I absolutely love that song. And in fact, I would say that the one-two punch of Over in the Mountain and Flying High again are one of the best one-two punches on album. I mean, it's just such a great back-to-back song and such a great example of Randy's talent on both of those songs, really. All right, so we hope you're enjoying this episode of Thanking the Greats with the great Randy Rhodes. I would encourage you guys to go check out an episode that we did a couple of months back. It was uh, When Rock Ruled the Charts, where we explored the day that Randy Rhodes died and the music charts on that particular day. Uh, It's a fun episode. We always enjoy doing those When Rock Ruled the Charts episode. If you want to help out the podcast, you can reach out to us, growinguprock at gmail.com, or you can go leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Podcast. Chaser. We appreciate your help and your time. Now, back to our show. All right, so we're on to the top two picks for myself and Sonny. My number one pick is a song that, when I first heard it, scared me. For whatever reason, it was just a creepy song. And I really, I didn't love this song when I first heard it. And it's probably not my favorite Ozzy song at all, but I think, once again, if we're talking about Randy Rhodes' moments within songs, this is a song that cannot be ignored. And that's Diary of a Madman, the title track from the Diary of a Madman album. This song is so brilliantly put together, and there are so many great guitar parts within this song. It's just amazing to me. So that made my number one top Randy Rhodes moment song. And if somebody asked me about Randy Rhodes, that is definitely a song I would tell them to seek out and listen to it in full and listen to it intently. Don't just like put it on in the background. This is a song that needs to be heard for sure all the amazing guitar parts within this song.
Yeah, and it's got that epic feel too, right? But I like it better than Revolution Mother Earth for sure. Yeah, when he kicks in the distortion pedal and kicks in that crunch, it's just it's it uh, raises the hair on my uh, arms for sure. Yeah. So my number one Randy moment is my entry point. I didn't know who the guy was until Tribute came out in 1987, and of course, anybody who's my age, the first thing they heard was Crazy Train off that thing, and you're just like, oh my god, what is that? So I go and buy the Tribute album, and I love the crazy train that's on that album, but I actually like Paranoid even more. I didn't know anything about Black Sabbath. This version of Paranoid got recorded about 10 months before Randy died in Cleveland. And this is, you know, Paranoid is a popular song by Black Sabbath, Guitar Hero staple, but Randy absolutely modernized it for the new generation, me. And that guitar tone is wow. The riff sounds so full on that live recording. All the guitar fills are awesome. He did all the guitar fills without intruding on the lead vocal, which is not on the original Sabbath version. And then the guitar solo, and I'm kind of putting words in Randy's mouth after the fact here, but to me, that guitar solo on Paranoid is a shut the fuck up, Tommy Iommi. I never want to hear that fucker's name again. That's what that guitar solo is to me. Because he did something on that solo in Crazy Train that I only couldn't touch on his best day. That's just how it is. Sorry, Black Sabbath fans. That's just how I feel.
Yeah, well, I, that's kind of apples and oranges to me. Tony's great. He's much more of a riff master, whereas Randy is a true lead guitar player, in my opinion. So, yeah, it's just it's definitely two different animals uh, for sure. Yeah, but if I'm ever going to listen to Paranoid again, this is the only version I listen to. <laughs> that's horrible when it's ruined for you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, look, there you go. That's a nice little sampling of Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes music, Quiet Riot music. It's just, it's like I said in the beginning, it's a shame that we don't have more material from his career, but, you know, we got to take what, what we got and appreciate what we got. Uh, I encourage you guys to go check that documentary out for sure. The documentary is well worth the whatever they charge to rent it. I don't know, three ninety nine, four ninety nine, something. It's not very expensive. And eventually, as you heard Andre talking about, they're gonna put out a DVD, and hopefully that DVD will have maybe some stuff that hit the cutting room floor or whatever. In addition to the stuff that's there, so that's it. Anything else to add before we move on to the next segment? I know, you know, the other songs that I was looking at besides the famous ones, you know, you looking at me, looking at you just missed Believer, You Can't Look, Kill Rock and Roll, and Suicide Solution. Those were the other four songs that I was contemplating. Very much so. All great choices. All right. So let's connect it to Kiss. You wanted the best and you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. Okay, so interesting connection to Kiss. Randy never played with Kiss, probably didn't even know who Kiss was, and probably didn't care, to be honest. So it's September 1980, and Blizzard of Oz hasn't got released yet. Ozzy's management decides they need a couple of warm-up shows. So the band got set up to do two secret warm-up gigs, billed as a band called The Law and played at a place called West Runton Pavilion on September 5th, which is located in North Northfolk, England. Now, the problem is that if you are an Aussie fan, you don't know they're playing because they're not billed as Aussie. So it's possible on that same day, September 5th, 1980, you instead went to Statford, England at Bingley Hall. That's where Kiss was playing. At this point in time, they're supporting Unmasked. Girl opened the show, which was doing a pretty good show. Set list was Detroit Rock City, Cold Gin, Strutter, Calling Dr. Love, Is That You, Firehouse, Talk to Me, You're All That I Want, 2000 Man, Ace did his guitar solo, they did I Was Loving You and then New York Groove, which is a little weird because they should have done New York Groove and then I Was Made for Loving You, but whatever. Then Love Gun, Gene does his bass solo, does God of Thunder, Eric done his drum solo, then they do Rock and Roll Night, Shout It Out Loud, King of the Nighttime World, and they end with Black Diamond. So out of all those songs, there was a song that only lasted four more shows and basically was never on a real Kiss tour again. So let's spin that one off of Unmasked, a deep cut. Here's your all that I want. I want you to believe it's 
Pop Kiss. <laughs> I like the I like that album, and I know you like it more and more ever since we've kind of known each other because I keep bringing it up. Oh, completely. I did not like that album upon the invention of this particular podcast, but after spending the amount of time that I've spent with you and Joe Polo and the rest of all the Kistards that are in our world, I have grown to like Unmasked quite a bit. It is Pop Kiss, but there's some really good uh, melodies and hooks within that Pop Kiss that I like a lot. Yeah. And it's so interesting, right? You got Randy kind of playing his first show live with Ozzy nearby but kiss is on the opposite end of the country doing something else and just so crazy that that kind of stuff happens yeah god how how amazing would that have been to see one of randy's first shows with ozzy that in some club that would have been awesome yeah my guess is that exists somewhere sharon's got it in a vault somewhere that would be killer (laughs) (laughs) it's also very possible that whole show, Ozzy doesn't remember any of the lyrics, right? And he's doing humana, 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 I told I don't know, humana, 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 I don't know. Like, who knows what he's doing? <laughs> oh, God. It's scary to think about. <laughs> oh, oh, the stories that probably w- could have been told from those first few tours. Oh, yeah. Or the uh, subsequent tour right after Randy's passing would have been awful. I bet he yeah. was a ridiculous mess at that point. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. But hey, look, like we said, it's all about thanking the greats. And we took this opportunity to thank the great Randy Rhodes and the catalog that he gave us for the very short time that he was here. The amazing amount of influence that he had over future guitar players is definitely obvious. And whether he took things from Edward Van Halen or not. He definitely made a lot of it his own, especially with the infusion of a lot of classical in his stuff. And so to me, that stands on its own merit. I would encourage you once again, go check out that documentary, Randy Rhodes, Reflection of a Guitar Icon. I'll try and put the link in the show notes, but it's pretty much available at Amazon Videos or Voodoo. I think they call it Voo What What's that one? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> wherever you watch and rent movies, they, you can find it, I'm sure. Uh, and it's not very expensive to rent it, like $3.99, $4.99 or something. It's well worth it, in my opinion, if you're a Randy Rhodes fan. Yeah, and I, uh, there was a piece in the doc where Joel Hoekstra says that Randy Rhodes made classical cool. <laughs> and he did, right? I, I don't think you get the Ingve neoclassical kind of hit some ears uh, and perk up. I mean, he sold some albums. Ingve is, you know, kind of a pain in the ass, but he did sell some albums. And obviously the guy's talented. But did Randy really make the classical cool and then kind of Ingve takes off from there? Who knows? Well, you know, and that raises an interesting thing that I just thought of because he never mentions it, but I, I'm curious as to whether Randy was a fan of Richie Blackmore's because Richie Blackmore really kind of was doing the whole neoclassical thing long before Ingve and really long before Randy. So I'm curious whether Richie Blackmore had any influence on Randy Rhodes or not, because it seems like maybe he would have. Yeah. Yeah. makes sense. I think what ends up happening is Randy probably just had too many people competing against him. The last thing he's going to tell you is all the guitar players he loves. That's it. All right. Well, great episode. Thanks for taking the time to discuss Randy Rhodes and the documentary with me. Thank you to all the listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoy all the episodes before it. And uh, yeah, 
That's it. You have anything to add, Mr. Pooney? No, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you here next week. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 